All right, good morning. Happy to be with you here this morning. Uh, so uh, I was not aware that uh, there was not an ability for me to show my presentation. So uh, Rob is going to work feverishly to make that happen. I'm going to give him a copy of it, and he's going to show you that presentation at some point in the near future, right, Mr. Lemon? Can you call a fireman? <laughs> so someone might need to help him, but... All right, so again, uh, my name is Todd Beeman. My wife, Kathy, is uh, here with me this morning. We are missionaries to Zambia, Africa. We have been in Zambia since August of 2007. Uh, some of the things that I was involved with as a young man really helped prepare me for the mission field. Um, my father loved history and his bookshelves will were full of history of the American West and other things. And I, I would read everything I could get my hands on concerning history, uh, biographies of the Old West and uh, then of war and other things like that. And then when I was eight or nine, I saw a, mission, a missionary presentation on the Congo. And it really changed my life in, a, in an amazing way. It got me thinking about missions for the first time because I really didn't know what that was. And so my dad also had missionary biographies on the bookshelf and I began to read those as well. And then when I got to Bob Jones, I met different guys who read different books and they said, hey, have you ever read this? Have you read that? And I was a history minor as well. I continued reading about history and I also continued reading more books on missions. And I say that because uh, the missionary life is full of crisis and perspective is extremely important. And so when you are going through a crisis, when you are far away from home, I have great friends who have gone through that before. Uh, the ones I read about in these biographies, uh, and oftentimes these men were not Christians, but they were able to endure whatever they were going through. So how much more for me to be able to endure it as a Christian, knowing that the Lord is, is with me. Uh, and so that's what I want to speak to you about today. Uh, the title of my message this morning is Make Me a Crisis Man. And so the purpose is I want you to understand that each individual Christian has the opportunity and privilege to intentionally pursue missions. I'll read that again. I want you to understand that each individual Christian has the opportunity and privilege to intentionally pursue missions. I began that age eight intentionally pursuing missions. I didn't know if the Lord would ever call me to the mission field, but I knew if he did, it would be Africa. And so I intentionally pursued that. And I continue to read those stories and those biographies and to talk to missionaries and you know watch presentations and pray about what the Lord would have for me. As I read my Bible, I would uh, think about what God would have for me uh, as someone in full-time Christian service and often missions was on my mind for that because I was willing to do whatever the Lord wanted me to do. So I intentionally pursued missions uh, always. Whether or not I believed I was going to be a missionary on the mission field one day, I still pursued it. And so that's what I want to encourage you to be doing, to, en to encourage you to pursue missions in whatever realm that is in. If that is in this area, if that's in another part of the world, you need to be intentionally pursuing this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is writing to a young Timothy 
Timothy is pastoring and he's trying to encourage him to teach him about things that Timothy is going to face. And Paul is giving him perspective throughout the book because Paul has been through so many different circumstances. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, uh, and then verse 12, we're going to read those together. Starting in verse 7, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And then down in verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know who, am I, I, know who I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have of gathering around your word this morning. I pray that you would use the word in the hearts of each one here. I pray that you would encourage us to intentionally engage in missions. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Paul's words to Timothy, it gives us the impression that Paul understood crisis and he wanted Timothy to be assured that he need not be afraid. Most of us remember the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001, and the images that we saw come across the television screen and the things that we heard across the airwaves. Uh, one of the most striking things is to see the firefighters putting on their uniforms, the policemen arriving on the scene, the paramedics, and as the buildings are burning, as there's smoke, as there's debris in the air, people are screaming, people are running away. These men and women were running towards the crisis. They were willing to breathe the air of crisis because they had people to save. Lindsay Whitehurst published this account on July 18, 2022, detailing a far different scenario. A total of 376 officers converged on Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, more than the entire police force in a mid-sized American city like Fort Lauderdale, Florida, or Tempe, Arizona. But for more than 70 minutes on May 24th, not one stopped the shooter. Amid the sounds of continuing gunfire emanating from the elementary school, they waited. By the time they entered and killed 18-year-old Salvador Ramos, 19 children and two teachers were dead or mortally wounded. Waiting cost lives. And we see that waiting costs lives. If we're going to be effective, we have to run to the crisis and be willing to breathe the air of crisis if people are going to be saved. One of my favorite scenes from the miniseries Band of Brothers. It follows Dick Winters of Easy Company. He is of the 2nd Battalion, 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment, which was part of the 101st Airborne Division. Winters gives a command to fix bayonets and then the men were ordered to charge. They knew that the Germans were waiting at a crossroads area. They didn't know how many were there, but on that signal, as the men are going to charge, signal comes, Dick Winters takes off, not realizing that the men didn't take off at the same time. And so he's in good shape, he's running as fast as he can, and he tears across an open field, uh, far outpacing the men behind him, and he comes up over a rise, and he sees the Germans that are there, and they are there in large number, and he begins to fire his rifle at the Germans. All right, I'm going to come back to that story in a second. Now, because I'm a student of war, I love reading stories about heroic actions and achievements, I've tried over the years to try to imitate some of those individual actions. Years ago, I went on a paintball war with my youth group. 
and the youth leaders decided that they were going to take on the young men in the youth group. And so we gathered together behind our bunker. The whistle was going to blow, and then the game was going to be on. And so we all had our paintball guns ready to go, and I made the plan for the guys. I said, look, I've done this before, and I know that if we, when the whistle blows, if we charge ahead fast before those guys have a chance to come out because they're afraid, they don't want to get shot, they're making a plan. If we get up there, when they come out of the bunker, we're going to hit them and we're going to win this game really easily. And so let's do that. And they said, sure. That's what we're going to do. So the whistle blows and I take off, run across the, you know, there's different bunkers, barriers, different things along the way. And I get behind a small wooden structure. Their bunker is right in front of me. And just as I thought, they didn't come out fast. And so as they start to come out, I begin firing. I hit a guy and I immediately get shot 24 times. Okay. I thought that my teammates had listened to the plan and they had followed me, but in fact, I was alone. And so I was standing behind this small wooden structure. When I started shooting, they came out, they shot me. I'm walking off the, the field and I have 24 welts on top of welts. Some of them were actually bleeding. Okay. And so I'm after the game, uh, I, I say to the guys, you know, what happened? We had a plan, you know, and they said, well, we were afraid, and so we decided to stay in the bunker. And I'm like, but we still lost. You know, we still, we didn't win. So when I went forward alone, I was no match for the opposing team. And staying back because of fear did not help our team to win. We still lost. Many times over the years, my company or my team uh, on the mission field has just been comprised of my wife and kids. And when I face crisis, I myself personally i don't typically think of the risk when i'm alone but when my family's in the middle of it i can tell you that those have been the hardest times on the mission field as a husband as a dad i can tell you i want to protect my family i want to make things better and sometimes it's just not possible and you never see an image of a firefighter putting on a fireman's suit onto his kid and the two rushing together towards a crisis towards a fire over 17 years in zambia um that time has been filled with one crisis after another with kids in tow, facing the conflict together. It's a true statement that a missionary lives in a world where they continually breathe the air of crisis. We know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In his book, Risk is Right, John Piper writes that safety is a mirage. And the fact is we live in a broken world. Many who choose to not serve the Lord on a foreign mission field because of fear are missing the point they face risk all around them every single day. Kind of like the guys who stayed back in the bunker. They still they still got shot. But they still lost. Okay. We live in a world where crisis all around you here. We read in the news about uh, people being in car accidents, people keeling over from a heart attack, whatever. Risk is all around us. So if you're going to face risk, you may as well face it for the right reasons. Okay. So Jim Elliott the famous missionary to Ecuador, uh, he prayed, Father, make me a crisis man. And he willingly gave his life so that others could be saved. The missionary willingly charges to the front of the fight. We run to trouble when we see it. That is who we are. I've learned that I'm just not that effective of a fighter when I'm alone. Like I said, unlike a firefighter or a policeman, we charge into that crisis carrying our family in tow. They also have to gear up. They also breathe the air of crisis. A missionary does not wait. He charges ahead to face the crisis. He is not alone because the Lord is with him. 
but he is more effective if he has a band of brothers or sisters that come along to assist or who are back at home manning the supply line. Now, I will pause for a second and ask you the question, do you take the time to pray for your missionaries and their families? Not just specifically the man, but do you pray for the wife? Do you pray for the kids that are on the mission field? Uh, do you really think of them as ones that are facing the crisis as well? I would urge you to contemplate that. And I hope you will. Now, my kids are all grown up. They're out of the house. My youngest is 22, getting ready to turn 23. They all live here in New Hampshire. I asked them recently, was the risk worth it? They didn't have a choice to whether or not they could come with me uh, to the mission field. They came because they're my kids. So I asked them, and each one said, though it was tough, they would gladly do it again. That they had a better childhood than anyone they know. Unlike my paintball experience when I found myself all alone, surrounded by the enemy, as a missionary, I've never been alone. Uh, with God, I'm always in the majority. Former Army Ranger Jeff Struker, he was at the Battle of Mogadishu, famous for the book Black Hawk Down. He wrote in the book, The Road to Unafraid, when you have the support of Jesus Christ, you have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Remember when Paul was in trouble and felt alone in Acts chapter 18, verse 9 and 10, we see this. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace for I am with thee and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee for I have much people in this city. Fear for the Christian should always breed trust and hope, always. It has to be that way. And we have prayed as a, as a family, and I pray personally for a teammate to join us in the Eastern province of Zambia for over 10 years. Now, the Lord has answered to see, seen fit to answer that prayer in a way that I didn't think of. Missionaries have come to Japata, just not to team with me. And what they have been has been good friends that we can go and have a meal with, that we can have coffee with, uh, that sometimes we can support one another in our different ministries. And I'm very thankful uh, for those missionaries. They've been a great blessing to us. But we've never received that missionary come and work side by side with us long term. The other way that we did not anticipate our prayer to be answered has been through short term missions. Short term missionaries, they can give helpful and necessary support. And we have seen amazing fruit from these teams. Now back to the story, World War II and Dick Winters of Easy Company. Remember, he's out in front of his men. Uh, he had ran up to the enemy alone. And he began firing. As he fires, he empties two clips from his rifle and he's getting ready to reload. And as he's reloading, the Germans are, are gathering there. They are firing back. And as he's looking at the Germans, he sees his men come up behind him. Uh, they have machine guns and mortars and rifles, and they begin bringing the fire to the enemy. And that's just an awesome picture to me uh, because um, he wasn't alone. Easy Company became known as a band of brothers. Where one man went, the others were sure to follow. Dick Winter's tagline was, follow me. I love that. Uh, he was speaking to his grand, one of his grandchildren, and the grandchild looked at him and said, Granddad, are you a hero? And his response was, I'm not a hero, but I've served with a company of heroes. Now, since we arrived on the field 16 years ago, we've hosted over 300 visitors, including 18 teams, two, homes, two homeschool teachers, three interns, and several others who stayed with us for an extended period of time. They have been that line of brothers that comes behind me just when the fighting gets the fiercest. 
remember, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Uh, as uh, Sandy said before, one of the things that we have been involved with is medical missions. Those of you that pray for us realize that this is something that we've we've been able to do for quite a while. And so uh, with the medical missions, as the people come and they're waiting to be seen by the doctor, they have to first reg register their name to see the doctor or the dentist. And while they are waiting to see the doctor, we are sharing the gospel with them. In each scenario where we are getting people to come, we are casting a net to see who we can catch. People are drawn to the church through many different means. Preaching affords the opportunity for me to put a stone in the listener's shoe. When we allow the word of God to work in the heart of the person, as the Holy Spirit convicts that person of their sin and convinces them of their need of a savior, they're going to desire to turn to Christ and they're going to need a, a church home where they can be discipled, where they can grow. And so what, that's what these medical teams afford. The last team that we had in July, we saw 1,142 patients uh, over the span of seven days. And that's just awesome. Uh, we don't see that type of number when we have visitors come to the church. Um, we see numbers come sometimes Christmas, sometimes at Easter, but nothing like that. And so, um, you know, I preach at a funeral. Maybe there'll be thousands of people at a funeral and I have the opportunity again to spread that net, to put a stone in their shoe, to make them contemplate the gospel. And so these are excellent opportunities uh, to be able to share the gospel. Let me ask you this this morning, as you've listened to what I've said, are you willing to be a crisis man or woman for the Lord? Maybe you're saying, I'm not convinced. What I've heard so far makes me think that missions is just a life of trouble. And that's true. Uh, we run to trouble because, as Paul said to Timothy, I know who I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And the psalmist echoes the same in Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. He says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Psalm 46, verse 10 and 11. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. And then I love this promise found in Matthew 1921. 1929, sorry. And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Is the risk worth it? Breathing the air of crisis on a continual basis seems pretty hazardous for a person's health, right? Um, so in 2019, we bought our property uh, where we're building the guest cottages currently. And so one of the first guys I hired, his name was Dan Wanza. So we were at a friend's place uh, that is right next to our property. And there was a gentleman that works for our friend. And he says, I have a brother who doesn't have a, a job. Uh, if you're looking to hire someone, would you be willing to hire this guy? And I said, have him come by and I'll meet him. And so uh, a week or two later, Dan Wanza comes to the property. And so... Um, I meet him and I say, look, we have all the stones here. We call the place Red Rock Farm because there are just rocks everywhere. If you dig a hole, there's going to be a rock in it. Uh, and so we have plenty of rocks to spare. And so um, Dan starts breaking stones, making gravel from the stones. That was his job. Another guy 
uh, comes two weeks later, he had worked for me to do, do some of the building for our buildings at our church site in Muma. And we had been home on our COVID furlough where we got stuck instead of being home for four months, we were stuck for eight months in the States. And so when we arrived back, you know, I'd hired Dan, we're doing work on the property and uh, trying to get the property cleared. And uh, a guy by the name of Asan Zulu contacts me, messaged me, says, Pastor, I've been out of work for the entire time you've been gone. Do you need any help with anything? And I said, come on, um, you know. And so he came from, he lived about two and a half hour drive away. And so he took a bus, comes to the area, and he begins to work for me. And so uh, because we knew Asan before and uh, knew he was a Christian, we asked him if he wanted to go to church with him, with us on a Sunday morning. And he said, sure. And so he came out, uh, brought his wife and son with him and uh, enjoyed his time. We said, hey, would you like to help assist us in the ministry there? Would you interpret for Kathy as she teaches Sunday school? He said, sure. So Asan began, he's working for me, but he began coming to uh, church with us every Sunday to interpret for Kathy. After a while, I got to know Dan Wanza, who was breaking stones, and I was impressed with his character because one Friday I bought donuts for all the guys at one of the bakeries in town. I gave them to the guys that were working for us, and at the end of the day, the guys were going home, and I saw that he was holding the plastic bag with the donut inside. I said, Dan, you don't like donuts? And he said, no, I do, but I'm going to give this to my daughter. Uh, because she's never had one before. And that impressed me. I thought, this is a different guy. Um, he cares so much about his daughter that he wants to share something that he could have eaten himself. And so I said to Dan, Aslan's been going out to church with us. Do you want to come as well? And Dan said, sure. So he goes to church on uh, a Sunday. And I said, so what'd you think? He said, I liked it. I, can I go back? And so Dan began to um, every Sunday along with Asan, he would just sit in the services, ask me uh, different questions. And um, during that time, COVID was still, uh, you know, running rampant. I've told you, I believe the story before about uh, Jolly Mtonga, how he, he passed away and his, his wife, Leah, took his place for the medical teams. And she began uh, to, she's helped us with all of our medical teams um, since that time. And so we were getting ready to host two medical teams in 2021. And I got contacted by Jack Mitchell and he said, one of my medical teams to Lebanon got canceled because of COVID. Would you be willing to host our team in three weeks? And I couldn't say no. Uh, even though I had just recovered from COVID myself, I wasn't feeling well. When the Lord provides an opportunity, you take it. And I said, come on ahead. And so... I looked at Dan and Asan. I said, well, these two guys are, they know English well, they can interpret. So let's bring them along and they can work on the medical team. So Dan worked with Dr. Jack in the dental area and Asan began to work in the pharmacy area, distributing medicine uh, to the people. So the, you know, the pharmacist would give the medicine to Asan, explain how the medicine was supposed to be taken. Then he would explain it to the Zambian and pass it out to them. And so ever since then, Dan and Asan have assisted us with all of our medical missions. Um, Dan is extremely shy, very quiet. So he would sit uh, cleaning dental instruments, which is pretty gross, 
uh, for Jack and Jack would have opportunity to speak with him and such. And over time, Dan just kept coming and he just growing, growing, growing. I call him do it again, Dan, uh, because when it came time for him to be baptized, uh, I baptized him. He's afraid of water, terrified. And so when he went to go down, he fought me and he didn't go under the water. And he comes up and he's all smiles. His wife's taking a picture. I said, sorry, Dan, we got to do this again. You didn't go under the water. And he's like, no, are you serious? I said, I am dead serious. And so we did it again. Um, and so I tease him all the time that he's a double baptizer, you know. Um, so he's kind of different theology than what I teach at church. But uh, he gets a kick out of that. But Dan has grown so much. He's someone that you see the change in his life where he continues to be changed into the image of our Savior. And so quiet Dan, at some point I said, look, I, I would like Asan to interpret for me in the worship service at MUMA. Would you be willing to interpret for Kathy for Sunday school? And he said, sure. And so he began doing that. Um, and uh, over time, he had just become more... Um, desirous of speaking in front of people. So I said, look, I'm going to be going home soon on furlough. So I'd like for you and Asan, I'd like to teach you how to teach the adults. And so we'll take turns. I will teach twice on Wednesday. You guys watch me. We'll talk about what I do, how I teach. I often do object lessons. Um, I draw pictures on the board and different things like that. And so I was showing them different ways in order to teach in a very simple lesson. And then Asan taught for two weeks, and then we talked to Asan, you know, what did this look like? What are some things you can do better? And then Dan taught for two weeks, and we did the same. And then after a little while, I stopped teaching, and I just began to watch them uh, to do it. Um, someone uh, wrote me and said, I'd like, we'd like to do something for the ministry. Is there a need? And I said, you know, I'm going to be going home on furlough. It'd be great if we had a motorcycle. So I don't have to give the guys taxi money. They could actually drive the motorcycle out. That will save us money over the long term. And that would be great for them to not have to rely on a taxi driver because it's 45 minutes to an hour to get out the village. You can't always find a taxi. A taxi takes you out there. He may leave and then you don't have a way to get home. And so uh, the church said, hey, we'd like to do that. We'll buy a motorcycle. And so um the money was sent and I went and bought one of the motorcycles after the rainy season. I didn't want to teach them how to ride a motorcycle in the mud. So I waited till the rains were over, bought the motorcycle, took a picture of the guys and someone contacted me on Facebook and said, Hey, I saw that you have one motorcycle, but you have two guys. Would it be helpful if we bought you another motorcycle? And I said, that would be awesome. And so Money came in, and I went and bought a second motorcycle. So both the guys had them, and then we had our first mission team in May of this year, and the guys rode out every day um, to to there, and that allowed us to have more room in our vehicles for the medical team, uh, et cetera. And so currently, right now, um, the guys sent me pictures this morning. I posted them on Facebook. They they went out to Muma and did church, and they decided to go see Oswald at Chijezo, so they drove to Chijezo and had church with them. They took pictures and video uh, there. They're just really encouraging um, to see how the Lord um, opened up opportunity for two guys, Dan and Asan. I never dreamed that, you know, you often look for ministry partners in the church that you're serving in, but that's never been the case for me. Oswald 
I didn't find him at Chijezo. He was somewhere else and he showed up to Chijezo one day. Um, Dan and Asan, I didn't find them out in the village. I found them in town. And now they're the ones running the ministry at Muma while I am gone. And so uh, it's just it's just really a, a blessing to see how the Lord provides for us. Um, this next year, we're going to host two building teams that are coming. Uh, one is coming uh, with Pastor Nason from Laconia. They'll come out with a small team. And then another one from um, uh, one of our supporting churches in Missouri. They'll be coming as well. And then we'll have two medical mission teams. Then Camps Abroad from the Wilds is also coming in June. That'll be the first time that we've ever had them. So we're hosting at least five teams and other individuals this year. Uh, we're looking forward to that. And our door in Zambia is always open. Uh, so I'd ask you, um, Rob's been, um, some others have been, Linda has been, come to Zambia and breathe the air of crisis. And maybe the Lord has this area as your mission field. Are you taking advantage of that opportunity? The door may be open to another place. Are you willing to go? We know that everyone that's a Christian can pray for missionaries. Do you take the time to pray for, as I said before, the wife and children of those missionaries that you support? Everyone can give towards missions, but giving is not just money. Uh, there are three ways. Uh, you can give your time, you can give your talent, or you can give your treasure. Uh, are you willing to give your time to missions? Are you willing to give talent um, if you're able to do something uh, different? Like that's what Rob did. He came out, we did some building, did some other projects, uh, showed the Jesus film while we were there. Um, are you uh, doing this? All of these things, using your time, your treasure, your talent, they are intentional acts. Do you take those things seriously? Um, do you know that some of our supporting churches don't really follow us? They don't really know what we're doing at all. Sometimes I show up uh, at a church and the people are like, oh, you're the Beeman family, you're in Africa, uh, exactly what do you do and whatever. And they've been supporting us for 16, 17 years. That happens, all right? It's not very many, but it does happen. Um, we live in a world of social media. And so no one has an excuse to not know what we are doing on the mission field or what other missionaries are doing on the mission field. Uh, have you ever been to see a missionary? Have you ever gone to a foreign field to get a small taste of missions? Uh, maybe the Lord is calling you to full-time missions. Are you willing to go? Um, as I said, we breathe the air of crisis. Uh, in our first couple of years on the mission field, my daughter Emily, after facing several trials, just couldn't sleep. There have been several break-ins in the missionary community, and uh, one lady, the thieves came through the bathroom window. She was asleep, did not hear them. They folded her up in the blankets, beat her with a stick, and told her to keep still. And they went through her house, taking everything that they could their hands on. Then they left. Another missionary, they came uh, to her place, grabbed one of the friends, and had them at the door and said, if you don't open your door, we're going to kill this guy. So she had to open the door. When she did, they had a pipe. They broke her arm and said, where's your money at? Whatever. So Emily heard all these stories, saw these things, and she could not sleep at night. She's nine years old and really struggling at the time with that fear of being in a foreign place, being away from uh, others who cared for her. So she would come to our room at night and she'd say, Daddy, I can't sleep. And she'd be crying. And so... You know, again, as a dad, 
Uh, these are the hardest things um, when you can't do anything to solve the crisis that's in the life of your kid. Um, in 2020, we came home from the mission field and uh, we came back to Zambia, sorry, from being home here. And we had been home for four days and we were asked to go to a family's house, friend's house for dinner. We were gone for three and a half hours, came back and our dogs were going crazy. The power was off uh, in the whole part of that city. We drive up to the home and when I open up the front door, uh, I'm using my light on my phone to see in the house. I could see that the house was in disarray, that thieves had been inside of the house. And so I quickly go through the house, through the kitchen door, unlock, go out, turn the generator on so we had power and lights. And I'm thinking I have my loaded shotgun in my bedroom or just such a case have they found my shotgun because, you know, again, there's five bullets in that ready to go. And so I head back there, not thinking about Paul at all. And Paul heads out the back door. I get to the bedroom and I see that the shotgun is gone, that they had taken it. And so I don't know if the thieves are still there. And I'm thinking, my son is outside and someone has my loaded weapon. Right then, Paul comes in the bedroom and he's carrying the gun case. He says, Dad, they've taken the shotgun. I said, yeah, show me. So we go outside and we we find where um, the thieves had gone over the, the fence. They'd been in the house long enough. They were actually eating food out of the refrigerator. Okay. So, and, um, but we saw some things strewn in the lawn. So we were like, our Rottweilers... Uh, they had gotten their attention, we think, at the top of the property, but then they must have heard them. And so there were things strewn to where we believe that the Rottweilers were chasing them off the property. And so I come to the place where Paul found the gun case, and I turn around and the shotgun is laying under the bushes. So I believe Chance caught them. The gun fell out of the case, and they were afraid of the dog, and where they weren't going to go back to grab it, so they took off. And so, uh, you know, that is something that now I think about all the time because I, I think about the fact that who knows what could have happened. The gun is loaded. What if they were there when we came in and they had that loaded gun? And so back to Emily. She's nine years old. She can't sleep. And so she's constantly come to our bed. And so from Psalm 56.3, I wrote her this poem. I'll read it for you if I can. It's titled, What Time I Am Afraid I Will Trust in Thee. By daddy. I wrote this, I laminated it, had her put it by her bed. When I grow weary and worn, new fear each minute born, of distant country I yearn, yet too far to return, I will trust in thee. When in the night gloom settles in, silence brings a garish din, in terror does my heart sing, no one near to cling, I will trust in thee. When in shadow tremor, in this I must remember, none his love can sever, his eye is on me ever. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. Are you willing to breathe the air of crisis? Are you willing to be a crisis man or woman for the Lord? That's my challenge for you today. Will you intentionally pursue missions uh, if you're not doing that? Uh, make it a priority in your life. All right, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity given us to come together this morning. Thank you for um, just uh, calling us to share the gospel to hard to reach places and difficult places. I thank you for 
um, allowing us to see your promises fulfilled, to see growth in individuals that come to trust Christ as their Savior and how they're able to carry on the ministry even when we're not there. Uh, we pray for your blessing upon this church. We thank you for what will be done here.